Hey everyone, this is Sarah Boisenault from the Northeast Conference, and you're tuned in for another edition of the NEC Overtime Podcast. Today, we're joined by former LIU sprinter, Brendan Rodney, who just struck gold for Canada at the World Athletics Championships in Eugene. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, Brendan ran the third leg of the 4 by 100 meter relay, and he led Canada to its first first place finish in the event since 1997. So my math isn't all that great, but I'd say that's, you know, the first goal for Canada in the 4 by 100 since it's been about 25 years, which is pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Can you just talk about what it feels like to be a world champ and a gold medalist? I mean, you know, it's a great feeling. I think it's something that everybody, you know, aspires to be, especially as an athlete, you know, you aspire to, you know, win, be the best there is and, and, and you know, compete at the highest level. So for me, it's, you know, it's always a great feeling to go out there, represent my country, compete at the highest level there is in my sport and definitely, you know, just represent the best that I can. Um, it's pretty awesome. Can you talk about the whole experience of being out in Eugene? Um, leading up to the race and then obviously just what happened after you guys your team won no. the 100 uh eugene's one of those places that like you either hate it or you love it so <laughs> you know we're there um we're just for me well they everybody else had their own individual events this time i it's my first time not um and for me i was just basically focusing on getting back from an injury that i just had um i want to say maybe four weeks ago just right at our canadian nationals so it was just about, you know, just training, staying ready for when my time came and, you know, just having fun. Um, I think it's probably the most fun I've had at a championship because I just really didn't. It wasn't, there was no pressure on me. It was just, all right, you know, go out there um, when your time comes and just do what you got to do. Um, you mentioned being injured. Was that your first injury that you've suffered in your career? And can you just maybe talk about how the training was different now that you were actually coming back from an injury? Um, yeah, it actually was probably my first injury, uh, like my first injury that stopped me from running. I, I've had like hair niggles and stuff like that, you know, as any athlete, but I've never not been able to compete because of it. So that was my first time not being able to compete because of an injury. So um, I think the hardest part was just like, you know, the mental part about it, you know, it's like, damn, like, you know, I trained a whole year just to get injured right before one of the biggest meets of the year. And then, you know, um, just coming back, you know, you're not used to having to go slower than you want to, you always want to go fast. So, um, you know, that that was also, you know, hard, uh, not really physically, but mentally, um, just being able to slow things down in order to get back to being able to run fast. I was going to say, I'm sure as an athlete, especially as a sprinter, the mentality of bouncing back from an injury is probably has to be one of the most frustrating aspects of it, right? Yeah, it was it's definitely super frustrating. You know, I think um, leading up to it, I was like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to run it today for the rest of the year. Um, so like as soon as I got hurt, I flew to Canada got seen doctors and everybody else like I do anything that I can run and they're like there's nothing we can do you just gotta rest so um it's it's one of those things like you just want to be able to get back and compete um as any athlete would and and when you're not able to it's it's tough but I mean I just stayed the course and I just I, I listened to the instructions that I got and, and you know it ended up paying off 
you obviously bounced back <laughs> coming <laughs> yeah. home with a gold medal is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So can you just maybe give us a little insight? Um, you graduated from LIU in 2018, right? 2016. Oh, 2016. Okay. So I'm totally dating myself. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so it's been a while, but can you just maybe talk about outside of injuries, what your normal training routine is like and what that entails? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, different days are different things. So I'm going to start with a typical heart, like a, a long day for me. So my first, uh, uh, on a morning, I'd wake up 5 a.m., you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, every day. 5 a.m., I, le I leave my house probably by 5.30. I'm at the track 6 a.m., running. Um, finish maybe 8.39. Uh, in the early part of the year, I'll probably go teach a class after. Um, if not, like in the second half of the year, I don't really teach as much. So I'll go home, eat lunch, then go back to the track, probably like 2.30, 3 o'clock, um, or go to the weight room, one of those things. Um, and then after the weight room, I would have like treatment, so some type of rehab. Um, if it's not for, like I used to have Achilles injuries, um, it's not for those, then it's for just like massage or acupuncture, dry needling, something. So I don't usually get home till about eight at night. And then I do it all over again the next day, basically. It's a long day. Yeah. <laughs> Those early mornings, I think, uh, would do me in right there. So yeah, yeah. 5 a.m. Is, is pretty early for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I get used to it. So like, even now that I don't have to wake up at 5 a.m., I'm still up. I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I'll eventually go back to sleep. But, you know, it's just just a habit now that I wake up early. I might need to try that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to switch gears a little bit, you're a two-time Olympic medalist as well in the 4 by 100 So can you maybe just talk about what your favorite Olympic memory has been to date? Um, my favorite Olympic memory, it has to be my first Olympics. I mean, because it's just the first time you're going to the Olympics and it was pre-COVID. So, I mean, 2020 or last year, whatever you want to call it, 2021, um, wasn't the same as Rio where you had like the full Olympic experience with fans and people and interacting through, you know, just talking like we were interacting through like plexiglasses at, in, um, in Tokyo. Guys in Rio, everybody was sitting down with each other, talking. You met people from all over the world, different sports. It was a lot harder in 2021. Um, going, I guess, talking about your Rio experience, since that seems to stand out for your first race when you're lined up, can you just tell us the feeling that you had? Oh, I mean, uh, I remember going into the warm up area and like my coach, Coach Simon from LIU, was there, came. He was supposed to come and he wasn't able to get a pass. He can't come in. I'm, I'm already nervous. And like the person that keeps me calm is not here. I was like, all right, whatever. You know, I did my warm up. Um, and basically, you know, I just did everything. And getting on the line now, I'm like, I think at that time I was ranked like in the top five in the world or something like that. So, of course, they're, they're going to stop the camera at me, you know, and do a big introduction and then go on. I was like, oh, gosh, all right. I got I got to do something special now. <laughs> um, so 
just that whole experience of just being there, being on the line, um, just just taking in the whole atmosphere. Like it's nerve wracking, but it's also a great experience because very few people get to experience that in their life ever. So I have two questions that stem from that. The first being, um, you've lined up against Usain Bolt. I mean, can we just, can you talk about that? That is something that not <laughs> many sprinters or athletes can can say they've done. That must have been quite the experience. I mean, I kind of have goosebumps just like talking about it with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time I lined up with, with him in, in, in an individual event was um, 2016 after NCAA National. So I still had on my LI uni uniform. I'm like number two in the world at the time. I'm like, all right, I'm about to beat you, Mr. Bolt. <laughs> I get out, start running. And I'm like, why am I not catching him? And then, you know, just get fastest man ever of all time. And I'm, I believe that I'm going to beat him. Um, so, you know, I went through and I see his like jersey dancing on the back of him. I see his name and I'm like, ah, oh, damn, I didn't beat him. But it was just a great experience to know that you're competing against the best ever. Um, and, and you got to, you know, talk to him, interact with him. And like, he would give you advice. Like I asked him, I was like, do you ever get nervous? He's like, yeah, all the time, you know, no matter what, I'm going to get nervous. But as soon as I get out there, I believe in what I've done, my training. And, and, and then I also remember that like I'm the greatest of all that. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Um, any other advice that he gave you or anything else that stands out in your mind from having conversations with him either pre or post race? Uh, I mean, I think he's just, just a genuinely like sociable person, cool guy, you know, gives advice. Um, but that was probably like the, the, the most, that are the best advice that he ever gave me personally that, you know, regardless of how well you've done, then the, the, the most nervous part would be like your first race of the year because you don't know where you are or how good you are. You're still going to be the same person. But after that, you know, confidence builds and you just trust yourself. Oh, that's really awesome. Um, while we're kind of talking about, you know, competing overseas, can you maybe just give us a little bit of insight about the travel that it entails? Obviously, you know, you were in Eugene, Canada, you're in Jamaica now, you're going to England. Just talk about how demanding I guess the schedule is and what it's like to have all this traveling as part of your normal lifestyle now. Uh, well, as like going right back to like my first race in 2016, I, like I always traveled with the national team, but traveling with the national team is easy because you go two weeks, three weeks before you get acclimatized. Even if you don't get acclimatized, like you eventually your body just automatically falls into the sleep schedule. Um, in 2016, we went, that was my first race overseas. And we go like two, three days before, and then you're expected to run really fast. And I'm like, how? Like I said, how after the race, not before. Before the race, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm gonna run really fast. I said, how after? But because you realize that jet lag is like a real thing. And, and it doesn't just affect like how you sleep, it affects like your performance and like your eating and whatever. So maybe after the race, I would have felt like running, but before, because my body's still in, the time zone that I'm coming from. I'm probably tired, groggy, things like that. So, I mean, it just puts a big strain on your, your, your performance, but you learn ways to deal with it. Um, I think being young at the time, I think was six years ago. Yeah, so that I'm kind of 
oh, I'm getting old now, but being young at the time, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I've, I've realized how to deal with it a lot better now. Um, you know, it's different things work for different people. I like to get like early flights. So I land like early in the morning at their time. So then I can sleep and still wake up and it's still the day. And then I can go back and sleep at night. So you start to figure out, I guess, a routine that works for you. And yeah. unfortunately that probably doesn't work for everyone else. Cause no, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everyone. Everybody's different. Like some people say like, they like to come in later. So when they come in, they just go straight to sleep. Um, yeah, so everybody's different, but you know, some things never change, like hydration, um, straight taking care of your body, getting up, walking on the flights and stuff like that. Those are things, unless like you're in first class, of course, then you sleep. Yeah, <laughs> you can lounge in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I can, I can imagine the travel aspect is pretty tough, just trying to make yeah. sure you're treating your body well and staying hydrated, like you said, and eating well, like it's probably much easier to eat unhealthy and not take care of yourself when oh, you're always definitely. on the run and traveling and yeah that's definitely like the harder thing to eat well when you're traveling because you know you're in the airport or you're on the road you don't know like especially if you don't speak the language in the country you're just like all right I'm gonna go to McDonald's because I know McDonald's or menu regardless of the language I could point and say like that one yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> the number five <laughs> yeah yeah or like give them five and you get five you know so do you have like a funny travel story that you'd be willing to share with us? You know, just something I that. I don't know if I have any funny travels. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe mean, like an embarrassing like, moment that happened to you in an airport or. Oh, I mean, I've, I've, for the last year now, I've been like sleeping in airports because like travel sucks now. It's, it's like, rough. yeah, it's the worst. So like I've lost, I have a bag that's lost still. It's been lost for like four weeks now um yeah these and this uh you you like delayed flights canceled flights you know I've slept in airports you know the airline's not willing to give me a hotel I'm just like all right whatever so as if you there's know, not so enough hurdles now you have yeah so it becomes so much hard like now it's so much harder like I don't even want sometimes I don't even want to check bags because I'm like oh if I have a connecting flight and my first flight's delayed then my bag's not gonna get to this location so like and if fun. your bag doesn't make it, then you know that for, you, you may not see it again. Yep. <laughs> oh, that does not sound fun. Um, just to switch gears a little bit, if can we, I know you hit on like the crowds at Rio and how it was different in Tokyo. Um, can you just maybe talk to us about, you know, are the crowds different in the U.S. and Canada as opposed to when you're competing overseas? Or is there a difference? Oh, yeah. I think the crowds in Europe are a lot bigger than in the U.S. and Canada. But then, I mean, I guess it's a bigger sport in, in Europe. I guess that's why they have a lot more meets there. Um, but I, I guess you get used to it as a track athlete now. I mean, if the stadium's full or if it's empty, people are still going to do what they have to do. Um, some of my biggest, like some of the biggest crowds I've seen, though, are like in either in England or in China. Uh, 2015, we were in China and the crowd was so like, it was, the stadium was so loud. Like, I couldn't even hear guys around me. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's a big difference, I guess. <laughs> uh, what's been your favorite venue to compete in? Uh, my favorite venue? I think my favorite place 
was either Russia or China. Russia being the first time I've ever went overseas and China just because it's China and there's so much things to do. Um, and it was a louder stadium and probably the nicest stadium overall. But yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite venue. I, I can't, I've been to so many, I don't even, <laughs> couldn't even remember all of them. Yeah. Um, no, that's, I totally get it. I'm sure it all kind of blurs into one after so many years. <laughs> yeah, like you'll think like, that, oh, at this level. Yeah, you'll be like, oh, you'll talk to somebody about a track and they'll be like, no, that's not the track from there. That's the track from this place. And be like, no, it's not. And I'd be like, and then we have to get pictures and they'll be like, oh. It brings back the memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, can we, I want to talk about your LIU career. I know it probably seems like it was years ago, but you- Oh, there's something that I, that's one thing I don't ever forget. Okay, that, that's awesome to hear. Um, you obviously enjoyed a really dominant career there. I believe you hold records in the 100 meters, 200. Um, and then I believe you're also part of school record teams for the four by one and the four by four. If I missed anything, I apologize, but that's that's pretty impressive. I right mean, I, <laughs> I, if you miss, I have like the 400 record indoors as well. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. So my apologies for missing that, but can you- No, it's okay. I, it's okay. It's okay. I would have missed it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess if you can first talk about how your time at LIU, you know, prepped you for where you are now, and then maybe just tell us about one memory specifically or two that stand out during your time on campus and with the NEC. Um, I think LIU prepped me in, in, in a lot of different ways. One, I got to learn to compete like at any level so it doesn't have to be at the highest or the lowest level it's just I learned to compete I learned like you know believe self-belief and and certain values that I still instill in myself you know hard, of course we work hard um so you know just being there with coach Simon uh always around him he's a guy that just is uh, big on self-belief and I remember the first year my first year like my freshman year I was there and we couldn't say like the word can't we were saying can't we do like um jumping jacks or push-ups or burpees or something you know so we we were kind of instilled in, in in trying to be po as positive as possible and moving forward and you know trying to not be as not be negative so it wouldn't be like I can't it would be like I'm unable to do this at the moment but doing so I can do it if so you know just the way we you know spoke and things so those are some things that I, I always remember them you know just competing at LIU I mean I think coach Simon gave us a great great opportunities to always compete against the best in the in, in the NCAA because we got to travel um, I mean some schools may not have that privilege but we were able to travel to all the big needs Texas relays Florida relays I don't even know where else but we traveled I know we traveled a lot <laughs> spring break trips to Myrtle Beach Puerto Rico, different things like that. I never got to Puerto Rico because I wasn't there, but they always went to like Puerto Rico, Miami. Oh, I went to Miami with them. Yeah, so we went, we went a lot of places. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. You still um, keep in touch with Coach Simon too? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my dad. Uh, I talk to him every, um, probably every day or every other day. Or, well, if not, if we even, we don't talk for weeks. So when we do talk, it's like two hours, whatever, whatever. Yeah, like you guys never missed a beat, right? Yeah. Definitely. So I, but I do keep in contact. We text, uh, you know, like I said, it's like my dad. So oh, you know, even if, if there's a problem or something, I'll call him and, you know, he's, he's there to give me advice. 
That's awesome. That's a. But, uh, you asked me about memories. I have a lot of memories. Some of them I probably can't share because, <laughs> you know, just college. But I mean, I think one of my greatest running memories. Huh? We'll keep this rated PG. <laughs> oh, no, no. It wasn't even like that. Like, it's just trouble that we used to get in and stuff like that. But I mean, I think some of my better, my favorite running experiences was just like, you know, um, the first year Ocean Breeze opened. I think, I think that's what you guys hold, host the conference meet now still. Yep. Um, I broke the 200 meter record and uh, that was the world lead. And I, I mean, it was probably like my, at the conference meet. So it was my last indoor conference. I got to break the 200 meter, um, 200 meter record, was number one in the NCAA, number one in the world. So, you know, I think that was probably one of the better moments. I'd say that would stand out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what goals do you still have in, in track and field? You're still young in your professional career. So what, you know, what do you want to accomplish and where do you see yourself? I think, uh, Olympic gold, um, that would be it. If, well, when the next Olympics comes around, if I'm on top of the podium, I think that's the end of my career. <laughs> um, just because like you achieve everything you want to achieve and, you know, it's better to leave on top than to leave on a low. So absolutely. That would be it. And then, you know, moving forward to maybe on the coaching side, you know, coming back to the NEC coaching at LIU, that would be a, a goal of mine too. Okay. Um, that was my next question was life after competition. Um, oh, yeah. what you aspire to do after that. Cause unfortunately everyone's, you know, athletic <laughs> have to come yeah, to an yeah, end, yeah. whether you want it to or not. Yeah, so no, I would definitely want to coach at LIU alongside Coach Simon. If he's not in the NEC, I'm sorry, guys, you won't see me there either. <laughs> but um, definitely that would be it. I wouldn't coach anywhere else in the NEC. So any other coaches that are watching or listening to this, I'm sorry. But I'm not coaching against Coach Simon, um, especially in the NEC. Uh, I think we could win outdoors on the men's side because we've never done that at LIU. Um, and I would love to be a part of that, um, in any way. Well, I think the NEC would be really excited to have you back. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. just to see you on the podium too, um, at the next yeah. Summer Olympics. So we'll definitely be rooting for you there. Um, right, I just want to get a little off topic, but still on the topic of track and field. Um, what would you say is your favorite event in track and field, like non-sprint related? non-sprint related it has to be like either the 800 or like the 1500 um have you dabbled in any other events outside of sprinting or running yeah i've done i've done high jump i like high jump too but like the the i don't know i think the adrenaline of watching these guys run tactical races in the 800 or the 15 where they coming home kicking hard i'm like oh yeah I, I gotta watch this but um i've done i've definitely watched high jump um I think at the elite level, high jump or any event is great. You know, once people are competing at like the highest of the highest level, like you're looking at people jumping 240, 236, and you're like, oh, wow, how? And if you ever were to stand up under one of those bars, they're like seven foot five, seven foot two. It's huge. It's high, super high. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, have you tried maybe throwing a javelin just for fun or? <laughs> Funny story. I got trouble in college uh -oh. and coach Simon was like all right 
since you want to mess around, you're going to throw shot put at the next meet. So I ended up throwing shot put at Wagner. And like, I never, Wagner's a meet that I never go to because he's like, okay, we don't need you to go. We got to train through this meet. But he's like, yeah, you're, you're messing around now. So you're going to go throw a shot put. So, you know, I went out there trying to throw a shot put and I was like trying to compete too, but you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> so it didn't go very well. No, I didn't, but I tried. <laughs> Hopefully you learned a lesson out of it. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I mean, I'm not going to get in trouble to throw a shot put again, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I did, but I remember I had to throw a shot put. That's pretty funny. Um, I guess just one other thing. What would your favorite sport be to watch out besides track and field? Uh, um, I don't know. I think I watch a lot, a lot of sports, so I can't say my favorite. Um, I watch anything from soccer to football, to basketball. I watch tennis. Sometimes I watch golf. It just depends on the day, but I mean, I've, I've, watched most sport, or I watch most sports um but basketball is going to probably be at the top of my list because yeah some of my favorite athletes are basketball players who are some of your favorite basketball players and do you have a favorite uh pro team like now or like ever um I have my favorite pro team is definitely the Toronto Raptors and okay. I watch baseball too oh I didn't yep. say baseball are you Toronto a big fan too or uh I'll go to Jay's games yeah Okay. Um, um, when I'm home, at least. Yeah, and tell us about your. Um, I want to hear your favorite NBA players. So even if they were growing up, and uh, my favorite NBA player of all time is Allen Iverson. It's just the truth. Um, I like, like I like to see explosive guards, but I like I I do like LeBron. I uh, like Westbrook. Um, Right now, Ja, ja Morant is probably like the top of my list because he's super explosive. He's like, he's great to watch. He's like an entertaining basketball player, but I, he's going to eventually have to change his game in order to have longevity in the league. Because if you watch everybody who's ever played like that, they either get hurt or their career is short. Um, Unless they change the game. And then, you know, like Vince Carter, he's he was a Raptor. So, you know, we grow everybody. If you're from Toronto, you grew up watching Vince Carter. So he's on your list too then yeah he has to be he has to be like it dunk champ um nba dunk, slam dunk champion dunked over a seven footer in the olympics i mean he's done it all um final question i promise and then i'll i'll get you off the hook um no noreen morris our commissioner at the nec asked us last week during a staff retreat a pretty interesting question that I had never thought about, but obviously you've competed at the Olympic level. I'm sure you've seen other sports in the Olympics while you're there. Mm -hmm. What would be one sporting event that's, I guess, at the top of your bucket list to be at? Man, at my top of my bucket list to be at now? Yeah. I mean, I and guess just, it would be- As a NBA spectator, final. not as, you know- Yeah, not yeah, probably like the NBA finals. Cause I mean, I've been to the Olympics. I've watched other events. Swimming's great at the Olympics, actually. Like, I think it's like the track in the pool, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would have to be like the NBA finals. I don't know if I would want to go to a Super Bowl. Cause like, if you, when you, when you watch super football games in person, it's not the same like on TV. I agree. Yeah. I'd rather watch it on TV and have the commentators yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, but probably like the NBA finals. Uh, I'm trying to think, or like World Cup. 
finals, something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that's, we'll, we'll get you off the hot seat. Like I said, I know you have a busy schedule and you're heading off to England next and you're in Jamaica right now. So we'll try to keep track of where you are, but I just wanted to thank <laughs> you for joining us today. Um, it was great having you on the NEC Overtime podcast and best of luck to you, Brendan, in the future. We're, we're rooting for you and we want to see you on top of that podium. Uh, thank you very much. Have a great one. You too.